0: listening to I Might Be Wrong, a podcast hosted by myself, Rich Neenum, and my co-host, Henry Salmon. Welcome, everybody. You are listening to I Might Be Wrong. I'm Rich, and with me is Henry. Hi, Rich. How are you doing? I'm good, mate. I'm good. How are you doing?
1: Yeah, life is good. Things are unlocking slowly, (laughs) like a a butterfly about to come out of its chrysalis we're almost about to get out of a lockdown i guess so it's quite exciting i do hope so i hope you're right on that one i am
0: looking forward to some actual summer because we still seem to be stuck in this uh hazy gray early spring feel i don't know what it's like down where
1: you are but certainly bristol's been a bit less than pleasant a bit murky that's a normal spring i think we were spoiled last year but yeah bring on a proper summer and some time for everyone to get out of the house and meet friends and family and do all of the stuff that you should be doing with life. And maybe going to some gigs. Going to some gigs! (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yeah, well, that's definitely high on the list. So, let's talk about some music. Yes. Uh, The album is one that you've chosen today. Who have you gone for? Well...
0: Mentioning gigs is probably a good thing to do for this particular band because they're one of my absolute favourites live. It is Block Party. And the album? The Silent Alarm. It has to be. I, I couldn't pick any other albums.
1: So tell us who Block Party are, when they were doing their thing, if they still are. Give us some background.
0: So Block Party are an English rock band. When they recorded this album, they were composed of Kelly Okereke, who's the lead vocals, rhythm guitar, keyboards, he writes basically all the lyrics as well, Russell Lissack, who's lead guitar and keyboards, Matt Tong on drums, although he left in 2013, and Gordon Mokes, who was the bassist until 2015. Tong and Mokes have been replaced by Louise Bartle and Justin Harris in the lineup, respectively but i think the work they did for the silent alarm is probably their most well-known and most famous and that's why i want to focus on that album it's certainly my favorite of everything they've done it was their debut album right yeah it was their debut and it's one of the eternal things that makes me a bit sad about block party is that they've forever moved further and further away from the edgy, anxious urgency that they had in this first album become a bit more mainstream and standard rock-ish, mm-hmm. which is why I've sort of lost track of their careers until fairly recently, which I will talk about when we get onto the uh, the live section of, of this episode.
1: Yeah, so go into the sound a bit more, because they are quite distinctive, and this album's pretty distinctive, isn't it? Yeah, so while it's rooted in rock
0: music... There are definitely other elements of other genres, so particularly electronica and house music that come into their sound quite heavily. Kelly says when Russell and I first started playing together, we were doing mainly you know straight up guitar rock or if not quite straight up then certainly something very much influenced by. What was in the mainstream around that time, bands like Blur and Radiohead. But when we started going to clubs, our whole approach changed. We were hearing atmosphere, space, rhythm in an entirely new way. It wasn't until Matt, the drummer, joined the band, though, that we were really able to explore those ideas. So there's elements of drumming and rhythm in here that are not what you'd expect from any guitar rock band at the time. The only other band that I think got close in terms of angularness and edginess is Maximo Park. Yeah. And a certain okay. trigger. Although that still doesn't have quite the same layering of dancey aggressiveness that a lot of this album has.
1: Yeah. I, I listened. There was a band called Akara Cult who were kind of post punk who had quite a similar style and delivery, which is lots of angular kind of rhythm. And the singer was almost kind of quite punchy with his delivery. And they almost seemed like a prototype for. Block Party. I don't know if they were. I don't know if they're influenced by them, but they were. They were a band who I saw when we were at university, and definitely sounds similar in that bracket.
0: Okay, cool. Um, I recognise the name. I don't really know. I can't bring to mind their stuff, but yeah, I will check them out. Uh, the story of how Block Party were formed is fun. Kelly and Lissack had both known each other for a little while but they went to Reading Festival, 1999 Reading Festival, and decided uh-huh. to form the band there. In the festival. At the that's festival. cool. They were like, we have to do this. Yeah, that's cool. And then Mokes joined after answering an advert in NME magazine, and Tong was eventually selected to join after auditioning. They went through a lot of drummers trying to find the right guy that could provide the, the rhythm section that they felt they needed for the sound that they were looking for. Yeah, and, and that was a really big thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it, you can hear it all the way through the album. It, the The playing off between the drums and the vocals and the guitars, it all it all works. You, and you're yeah. right, it's a certain style that they're looking for, which really comes across well.
0: Yeah, so they apparently went through a bunch of different names as well before settling on Block Party. So Block spelt B L O C Party as a bit of a a play on words that they've never really explained properly. They claim that there's no like political thing in there, uh-huh. and there's no like specific thing. They just thought it sounded good, yeah, which I guess is as good a reason for doing a name as any, so many yeah. terrible band names that that you hear you know once you find something that works, just stick with
1: it. well but we've we've also had this a few times where you come across a band name which sounds really interesting, and it turns out that they just like found it in a dictionary or thought it sounded cool, and it's <laughs> yeah. like actually we just stumbled on it and have kept it, so yeah, yeah,
0: so they they got a big break because they were at a Franz Ferdinand gig. And so they had a demo of their lead single, their first ever single. And they gave that to Steve Lemack and Alex Capranos. Really? Yep. And apparently Steve Lemack was so impressed that he started playing it on, on Radio 1. And I mean, lead single was She's Hearing Voices. What a brilliantly mature first single that is.
1: Yeah. I don't know if the single that was put out is the same as the album version, but it's incredibly well produced. It's quite quite stylish. Yeah. And you've got to think
0: you're onto something a bit special here, a bit different. And yeah. the urgency in that first single is something that, that they really pushed throughout the whole of the album. And I think that's part of the reason why I love them so much.
1: Yeah. I struggled actually when um, when I first heard them because it was probably when the album came out. And I know you fell in love with them pretty much instantly and i i I struggled a bit with the kind of angular edginess of it it was a little bit kind of uh, and i kind of still i don't still do but it put me off buying the album just because it's kind of it doesn't come and give you a hug does it no It, (laughs) it, it, it makes you want to get up and and yeah There's a lot of raw energy
0: in there. It's very passionate. It's very engaging. There's a vitality to this album that I don't think they ever managed to repeat or get close to in subsequent albums.
1: Yeah, which is a shame, but they've captured that style brilliantly. And actually, one thing I think's cool is the way that the, the whole album has that same pace. It doesn't feel like they get halfway through and then just to have a bit of a sit down <laughs> there are slower tracks in there though you said vitality right and yeah. I think that's quite a good word because there are slower tracks but there's still an energy in there somehow yeah. I don't know for how that works but no I, I agree with
0: you and and the one thing that I think you get from Kelly that you didn't get from a lot of indie lead singers at the time is he's very earnest and most of indie was trying far too hard to be cool at that point
1: yeah didn't he have a spat with Noel Gallagher Didn't everyone have a spat with the Gallagher at some point? I guess so. I think I read it somewhere that um, they ended up having a... I think a falling out because he had a dig at them. Basically, he got upset that they were being compared with the Beatles... Basically said the Beatles were innovative and different and Oasis couldn't be any more boring and mainstream. And he was Amazing. saying, we're an innovative band doing innovative stuff. You should be listening to us. And I think the two of them had a bit of a falling out. Anyway, yeah. that's what I read. I can imagine
0: Noel doesn't like being criticised, particularly by someone that he would consider to be a young upstart <laughs> yeah, yeah, who yeah, haven't exactly. cut their teeth yet or whatever. Yeah. You, you asked about sound. I think one thing that's very clear from the way that they are musically is that the tracks are driven by the drumming and the bass line. that is the thing that is most prominent there and the guitars cut through that tension and the keys where they're there cut through that tension it's a really interesting dynamic because you end up with a sound that's both full and lush but also
1: somewhat stark yeah definitely stark as i said it's quite hard to warm to because it's just uh it's only when really the bass kicks in that there's that kind of it brings everything together yeah I mean it's definitely a sound that you'll either love or be left cold by I think the weird thing about the album when I've heard it is that I've never bought it I've never put it on I've never played it in my my house ever front to back really never because it's just it is so cold but the weird thing is I know every single track on the album perfectly probably because I've heard it played (laughs) (laughs) through through three but but I, I love the album, but it's just one of those that I just wouldn't go up and pick up because I don't know. It just leaves me a bit cold. It's funny,
0: interesting because I have obsessively listened to this many, many times over the years. This is an album that I absolutely go back to time and time again. I think there is a bit of a nostalgia thing for me here, so. They released this album in 2005 and the singles when they came out were being played on XFM and I I was all over that. Absolutely loved them. And then that summer was when we'd finished university. So I think from probably mid-June to maybe the end of August, I was just putting up marquees for a business that was based near where my mm. parents are because I, I, was, I was broke. I came out of university and I think I had something like 14 pounds above my overdraft limit uh. on my student overdraft and so I needed some cash so at that point I'd gone home wanted to do something that didn't tax my brain because I'd just finished a four-year master's in engineering which was pretty hardcore mm-hmm. um, and so putting up marquees, uh, a mate of ours Matt had been doing it the previous summer I got the details off him and ended up doing that but one of the things when you were working on the marquees was if you were doing something that didn't require you to be talking to other people. So there was a lot of stuff internal to the marquee. So, you know, all the like decoration stuff mm. that happens inside. If you're doing that, you can just have headphones in and be listening to music. Yep. This album soundtrack that summer for me. Awesome. I listened to it so much that year. Awesome.
1: And I can imagine, actually, that's quite an energizing album to to have a, as your backing for, for doing a marquee. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, and that's how you fall in love with an album, isn't it? Albums go along with life experiences, and this one sounds like it's hooked you.
0: Yeah, and I think there's an element of Kelly's lyricism, that sort of not really knowing where your life's going next uncertainty that really rang true for me at that point in time, where I, I didn't have a proper career job. I'd come out of university knowing probably already known for two years that i didn't want to go into engineering so i didn't really know where i was going to go from that point and so a lot of this appealed to to how i felt at the time mm. i think i also love the fact that a lot of this was live takes mm-hmm. so it's all recorded as the band playing together which gives it a lot of that energy as well yeah I read a 2005 interview with Now Magazine. Kelly says uh, of his vision for the album, I knew before going into the studio that I wanted the album to sound very rich and full, not too flat like many of the guitar rock records that had been coming out of Britain. The goal was simply to give the music more depth, sonically speaking, and I think they've managed that in this.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting concept because there's so much um, of the higher sounds, like the the guitars and the the vocals, which are quite high-pitched, and then it's only really the bass that that sits in that deeper level but somehow it does sound like a nice full sound there's a
0: lot of levels of the drumming as well so there's 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 a
1: lot of drum going on there there's there's
0: you know hi hats and snares but you've also got a lot of the bass being pushed along with yeah.
1: with both the bass guitar and the bass drums so they did dick around with time signatures a little bit in in they'll the song, songs will stop and start i think that's the thing it's the the time
0: signatures and the rhythms are designed to be not just an easy sequential listen
1: yeah yeah absolutely my kind of album which sits in that bracket for going out to the world of work is funeral by arcade fire and that has exactly the same influence as what you said about that being quite uncertain about the future funeral is is my version of this i guess and it's cool to have an album like that where you've got that history I guess. yeah it's
0: it's definitely one that's like i said very nostalgic. We should talk songs, shouldn't we?
1: Yeah, well, I was going to say, um, wh- where would you start? What's your What's your intro to Block Party?
0: <laughs> the intro has to be the first track. Yeah. I mean, I know we try not to talk about too many tracks from these albums, but I'm going to talk about a bunch here. Uh, <laughs> like Eating Glass is brilliant and this opens as it means to go on. So you have edgy guitars setting the tone you've got big old drums kicking in and then you get this guitar howl and they do a lot of this where you've both got aggressive chugging guitar but also you got like a melodic guitar over the top of things as well yeah true what an opening this is and, and the lyrics as well so you've got it's so cold in this house open mouth swallowing us and then it does this switch to a major key for the chorus so you've then got the lyrics of like drinking poison, like eating glass, but it almost sounds like a release from this on edge F minor key that, that you open up with. But the lyrics don't go away. The lyrics are still really, really dangerous
1: and edgy. It's a lovely little, um, it's a summary, really, of what are we going to get for the rest of the album? It just shows Absolutely. you exactly what, what you're going to get. And it, this is four and a half minutes long. It really doesn't feel like it. Okay, I was just, I'm stunned by that. It, yeah. It's a four and a half minute track because it does four and a half minute it track. feels so it feels like a two and a half quick bam intro.
0: I couldn't believe it when I saw the album length. The album's almost an hour long, and to me this feels like a 35 minute, 40-minute album.
1: Yeah, I agree. It flies along. It's yeah. got that pace. So I'm I'm surprised at that too. <laughs> Next track
0: is helicopter. So you've got this brilliant guitar opening on this, so it's very unpop like. It's almost like it's looking at you sideways before it breaks into a more classic rock power chord progression
1: yeah it's kind of spiky punk isn't it it's
0: very spiky i mean a lot of this album is very spiky but again it will shift through the gears and it rolls into the track and it never lets you settle down it always pushes you into something new
1: yeah and i think this is what got me the first time when i listened to it It, it, if you if you if you're not going to embrace it it'll push you away and i was just like ah this is quite kind of intense stuff and uh, that's why i used to not like it i just for the record i love this album <laughs> but at the time i struggled to get into it yeah intention something we haven't really talked about that but
0: it's absolutely layered intention this album there's so much in there well the next tracks called positive tension <laughs> <laughs> True. So. this is sneakily brilliant for me um the first two and a half minutes of this is it's almost spoken word and there's this aggressive drum and almost restrained bass line and then just occasional bits of guitar sort of hanging out in the background. And then you get this line from Kelly, something glorious is about to happen. Everything sort of becomes still. And then you get this whirlwind of guitars and, and drums that swirls upwards with Kelly shouting, why do you have to get so hysterical? And then it all explodes
1: as he shouts, so fucking useless. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah, th- th- this is the song that sounds to me a lot like Air Cara Cult when they were doing their thing and um and there's just that energy as well it's yeah. um i guess we'll come on to the live stuff later but i'm sure you can probably understand where this is heading in terms of a live experience <laughs> <laughs> yep banquet we should touch on was that a single banquet because i'm
0: i, I th- i'm pretty sure it was i think it might have been the second single that they did before they even released the album yeah I this is so. almost radiohead like It's probably one of their most famous tracks, and the the bassline and the jangly guitars in the chorus here are just just
1: brilliant. Yeah, this is a, is a, a block party classic, I think.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And then this Modern Love we have to talk about. This, to me, is the warmest track on the album, and it's all about falling in love in what was then the modern world at the early 2000s. It's that kind of discovering that someone else is interesting and the kind of coy exchanges that you have, trying to figure it out and work out whether
1: whether you're both interested it's funny how it's such a warm track it's beautiful yeah it is it's really well done they they don't overdo it as well you could overdo the the big hug i guess in the middle of the album but they don't (laughs) they just they keep it simple it's it is a lovely lovely song yeah there was
0: a great quote from kelly in an
1: interview that he did with a
0: a US publication on westword.com of, we work really hard to create something whole and coherent and special but for me it's often the little things that make me appreciate what we've done. Like I remember the first time I listened to the playback of This Modern Love, I started crying right at the bit where the backing vocals come in on the second chorus. I mean it was so perfect, so perfectly what we'd set out to make. A song that's like two people on the telephone who can't touch each other and the song and the conversation progress and everything amplifies. What starts out small and static, just rhythm and vocals, intensifies the way the conversation intensifies, intensifies to the point where you have guitars and the glock spiel and all the extra vocal tracks and that's amazing to hear someone realize that what they've recorded is what they had in their head yeah yeah just incredible
1: they've nailed it on this one i think it's a it's a lovely tune yeah
0: next up for me is the pioneers so this is one of my absolute favorites the clang guitars opening on this are just brilliant and it's probably the most on edge paranoid and anxious sounding track of the whole lot the Repetition of the very unconvincing refrain of It's All Under Control really exemplifies that
1: because I would say this is actually one of the tracks that this is one which really pushed me away, really, when I first it, because it's so like it's so there's a lot of I don't know, there's a lot bundled up in there, and if you're not ready for it you yep. don't you're not going to want to listen to it it will make your whole body tense up yeah yeah exactly it does and i sometimes i don't want to be tense when i'm listening to music <laughs> i just want to chill out and so i think i struggle with this one a lot especially if you're doing something and say if you're in a room having a conversation with someone or having a beer and this is in the background it's coming out of the speaker going wait wait yeah listen to me and you can't just sit down and talk to someone else when this is coming out of a speaker and grabbing your attention yeah
0: but again they have that brilliant thing where it'll roll from the very on edge minor key into a major key chorus that then releases
1: a lot of that tension for you yes and that's where you need to listen to it i think and that's where this album is so so good and i've missed this the first time round, but that ability to to balance the spikiness with the the, the major key is um is what makes it
0: yeah There's some great lyricism here as well. So the chorus includes lyrics like we promised the world we'd tame it, what were we hoping for? And go stick your bloody head in the jaws of the beast. Right. Some of that stuff is like, whoa, there's a section that I I included here because I just love it which is, so here we are reinventing the wheel. I'm shaking hands with a hurricane. It's a colour that I can't describe. It's a language I can't understand. Ambition tearing out the heart of you, carving lines into you, dripping down the sides of you. It's furry visceral. Yeah. Too much for younger Henry. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think we've had that discussion on a number of these where it's okay to work your way into an album if you don't get it first time round. Yeah. I've got one more and then then we can <laughs> talk other stuff uh so here we are uh, it's a brilliant release after the previous two tracks it's more upbeat and it's got more of that genuine warmth that you got from this modern love i love the builds to this euphoric moment of kelly proclaiming i figured it out
1: it's just wonderful stuff it's my favorite song of the album and and that i figured it out is the point in this in the the whole album i think where is the most perfect release. It's the the point where you just, you get it.
0: This is a song that has had me lose my voice at gigs in the past.
1: Yeah, and I can imagine that. I've heard this song and I I think at the time when I was in my kind of, not anti-block party phase, but oh, I'm not into this. <laughs> and then this song comes on, it's like, actually, this is really, really good music and it's yeah. written very well.
0: And I think the thing that you have to understand, this is a debut album, but the quality never lets up. This is constantly brilliant all the way through there's no bad track the second half of the album maybe is a little less aggressive than the first half but everything's still gorgeous i love the shimmering guitars and keys on compliments to close the album i just think is a wonderful way
1: to see things out well going back to what you said earlier it's an hour-long album it's 13 songs and a lot of the time in previous albums that we've discussed it that's a lot of music yeah, and a lot of shorter albums that we've discussed. We've said there's filler in there when there's a 40 minute album. So for this to be a 13 song, one hour long album, and we're going, actually, th- there isn't really filler. It just, it works and it goes by quickly. I mean, that's the mark of a good album, right? Yeah. I I can't
0: speak highly enough about this. This, this whole podcast came about because we were talking about which albums we would put in our top three. This might be one that always gets in the mix for that top three for me
1: and you know when i was writing my massive list in that pub we got to the point of finishing our pints well, fourth or fifth or whatever we were on at that point (laughs) and arguing but in the that email or draft email that i was writing this album didn't appear on there and i'm kind of kicking myself now because it's like (laughs) oh in that original list it doesn't appear but it should do because it's it's a special album yeah it it definitely
0: did on mine Uh, probably very early on as well i mean this is an album that I have waited because I wanted to talk about it properly. So we've gone through the songs. Um, yes. Have you seen them live? Multiple times. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of thought you had. Where Where was the best experience? Oh God, that's actually a really hard call to make. So the three times that I've seen them that really stand out, the first time I saw them was at the Brixton Academy. They had just, I think they just released their second album or they were touring pre their second album uh, and i went with a mate of mine steve kinder who was he looked after me at the start of my first job um, he was sort of my my assigned buddy but he he's become a really good friend so when i was getting tickets for this i knew he was a fan so i got him one as well and this was the moment i realized that the brixton academy has shitty sound if you stand in the wrong place because for the first three or four tracks we were stood underneath the balcony bits because we'd arrived fairly late and it was all a bit muddy and it didn't sound great and it was a real like that's a downer when you've got a band that have so much depth and so much going on you don't want a muddied sound and then we stepped out moved forward and got down near the sound desk and all of a sudden we got this huge clarity of sound where everything
1: sounded perfect and all of a sudden I was like oh this is this is what I wanted that's the the real shitter about the Brixton Academy is that that muddiness that you talk about around the bar area where you've got a ceiling above you that's what causes everyone in the area to have a chat if a band isn't that interesting yeah and because of that if you're stood in an area most people aren't that interested so it kind of almost is this self-perpetuating shitter of a, of a setup where yeah. you just you, you lose an audience if, if you're back there. So, yeah, uh, that, it's a good spot. It's definitely worth stepping forward if you're at the Brixton Academy.
0: Yeah, I've learned over the years that if you can get there early enough, the best spot is there's a railing three quarters of the way down towards the front. And if you stand just in front of that, you don't get any of the crush but you're also close enough to the, the stage to get a really good view. Yeah. If you can't arrive early enough to get there, go down the left-hand side and tuck in some, sort of two-thirds of the way forward. Yeah. That's that's a good spot as well. Gig tactics. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Plus, you are then
1: fairly close to the gents' toilets, so you can get across <laughs> into the loo's quickly <laughs> yeah. and easily. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's, um, it, it is interesting how simply where you're positioned in a gig will completely change the experience. Yeah. Uh, And the other two occasions are linked. So,
0: what, two years ago, they announced that they were going to tour The Silent Alarm and play the whole thing in full. So, obviously, I had to get tickets. Now, there were two London dates that they announced for this, and I got tickets for one of them, despite the fact that it was the Alexandra Palace, which is one of the worst big geek (laughs) venues that I've ever been to. Yep, Shocking sound awful setup pain in the ass to get to and from they got the sound pretty good for this i was really impressed but they played silent alarm in reverse
1: order i remember you telling me that yeah
0: yeah and it works really well because you start a bit slow and you just build and build and build and build and build and build and and you just get these massive full-on frenzy of the last well the first three tracks but in reverse Mm -hmm. at the end of that set and it was I mean I lost my voice on that one and then having had that successful couple of nights at the Ali Pally, they then announced that they were going to do a national tour and I had moved to Bristol at that point so they played the Bristol Harbourside so Steve and I went to both of these gigs because I got tickets for Ali Pally and offered it to him straight away because of the the nostalgia effect and then when I got the tickets for Bristol, I was like, Steve, I've got tickets for Bristol. Do you want in? And he just didn't hesitate. Awesome. <laughs> yep. I mean Was that in reverse too? That was yeah, they did the exact same yeah. set. And we left both times they played stuff from later albums to follow up the end of the album. Yeah.
1: And we were like, no, I'm on so much of a high right yeah. now. I've
0: just, we went went and had drinks around the
1: corner. Yeah. Well, I guess I guess talking of later albums, how much of their later work have you heard? I've listened to all of them and they're decent i think if they had
0: started with their second album and then released silent alarm i'd really like their second album as a debut yeah the problem i have as i mentioned earlier is that all of their stuff has just slowly got more commercial and less edgy and anxious maybe they're just happier and more comfortable (laughs) with themselves now and they're just not they're not interested in writing that music but yeah i sort of I'm sure there's plenty of people who love block party who think they've got better and better, but it's it's just moved away from the thing that I really loved about this sound in the first place.
1: Yeah, and I I'd, I'd agree with that. The albums that I've heard, the sounds there, but it's not as visceral as this first album.
0: Yeah. So, a Weekend in the City, their second album, is not it's not a bad album. There's tracks like uh, Hunting for Witches. I still remember, and Song for Clay on there that are all very good tracks. I just don't think it ever hits those levels as well or as consistently. Yeah,
1: reading some of the reviews, some reviewers are comparing them more to Coldplay and going more emo and just basically just losing that distinctive edge that they had. The Guardian's review of it says there's barely a song that isn't kneecapped by one of Akerike's lyrical clangers, which is a bit harsh. I think wow. She, I mean, if you put the boot in... Yeah, that's pretty brutal. It's not...
0: Again, it's not a terrible album. I think they're more recent stuff. They've gone for a more lush sound and lost some of the anxiety and the edge.
1: Yeah. And that just doesn't do it for me. So what about from 2005... From when you heard this, do they have any stablemates, or is this a is this a one off standalone album for you? I th- I think it's a one off.
0: Like I mentioned at the start of the podcast, Maximo Park have a similarly urgent thing that they do, where it's slightly unusual time signatures and rhythms going on. Uh, so they're probably the only other band that I'd think of in that territory. I guess maybe there's an element of the crossover again where this is not just pure rock, it's Mm. dance elements, electronic elements that's led me in that direction. Uh, I would love some other bands that people think sound like Block Party for recommendations because I I could listen to that kind of on-edge, anxious, driven music all the time, all the time. Yeah. about you? you
1: (laughs) I I couldn't listen to that kind of stuff all the time. Actually, I'm enjoying this album much more now which is a bit weird um i've now accepted it for what it is and i'm really enjoying in fact i really enjoyed listening to this album all the way through and i guess noticing a lot of what i initially rejected because it's a special little album and the urgency if you accept it for what it is 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 great yeah i was thinking about this I was
0: listening to it the other day. I was going to put it on in the car to have a listen while I was driving uh, out to the coast from Bristol and realised that I really shouldn't listen to it in the car because I think I'd end
1: up doing 90 miles an hour everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly. There is am pretty sure there was a study that was done on, um, on music styles and driving speeds and it pretty much said there was a very strong correlation with, um, I think, metal music got people driving the fastest, funnily <laughs> enough. And uh, so there really is a... Yeah, a correlation. I remember my my early days of getting back into
0: driving. I accidentally put on some Prodigy and that was a mistake.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, I tell you what. I was listening to... So I got a new car a while ago. It was a couple of years ago. And I was coming out of um, a town centre and there was a dual carriageway hill thing go going off up into the distance and i was listening to born slippy Mm. by underworld and it just came off the um the kind of really nice mellow introduction into the the beats and i that was foot down and off we went and if there was a policeman he was gonna have to chase me down because i wonderful wonderful way of music and driving kind of combining
0: Shall we end the podcast before we uh put ourselves in too much trouble with
1: with mr policeman i wasn't speeding i was doing at least just over 30 i think
0: um (laughs) yeah absolutely i mean all all stories are exaggerated for entertainment of our listeners
1: exactly yes (laughs) definitely don't break the law kids (laughs) great that feels like a good place to end this episode (laughs) Um, yeah great album it's worth uh it's putting that flag in the ground and saying i think you've chosen a, a proper belter good choice Nice. Thanks, mate. Thanks for joining us, everyone. We will see you next week. See you next week. Cheers.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of I Might Be Wrong.